Well, I invite you to turn with me in the scriptures as we do uh, look to Jesus and see the mercy that he has uh, for us. Invite you to turn to Second uh, Samuel uh, chapter one, Second Samuel chapter one. And I am thankful for the time we've had the last uh, couple of months uh, with the uh, Advent season back in December for the missions month and for our time uh, last month looking at this idea of walking on water for some seasons to to tackle some messages in a topical format and look at uh, various passages across the scope of Scripture related to some of those uh, topics. Today we'll uh, return to uh, working our way through a uh, book of Scripture and really picking off picking up where we left off last year. In walking through First Samuel, it has, as I've shared in the past, when we sort of begin these sermon series, and then often when we conclude these sermon series, it's uh, it's been our endeavor to try to often work through scriptures in this uh, this format for a couple of of reasons. Uh, one, it allows us as we from year to year, and I can trace back, I jotted down that we have gone through Genesis, Exodus, Joshua, Judges, and First Samuel just from the Old Testament in the last six years, and then we could list a bunch of New Testament books. It allows us to reach into the scope of Scripture and not just be uh, exercising one muscle, so to speak, right? If you went into a workout person and you said, what should you do for a physical fitness workout? I don't know much about that uh, that area of things, but I, I guarantee you they wouldn't say only work on your hamstrings all the time and never do anything else. Right? They would say you want to have a balanced workout across the, the scope of your body and your muscles. So, too, as we look at Scripture kind of that way, drawing from different sections of Scripture. So th- this helps us to, uh, to do that. And then, as I've said before, too, while walking through a book of the Bible and sort of taking whatever comes in the next chapter that the Lord has for us, uh, really helps uh, both uh, you all and me. And, and it helps in, in this way. Perhaps you can, can relate. Uh, You are protected from a sort of bias that I might have for whatever or whoever else is preaching up here on a given week might have for my little soapbox, my little hobby horse. And and instead, we're just taking whatever's coming next in in the scripture. So you are you are helped in that way. I am helped uh, or others who are up here preaching to, to preach with clarity, to preach with boldness, to preach with confidence. Because it is God's word speaking and it's the next section of whatever God's word is saying and not just what I want to talk to you all about. It's God's word speaking. So that's kind of the rationale for this. The reality is it's a little more challenging. It requires a little bit more, both of you all and of me, to walk through these kind of series. But I hope you'll uh, you'll make a commitment to, to be here over the next couple of months as we work through these uh, these uh, sections of Scripture in in Second Samuel and kind of see what ha- what the Lord has for us in it as we do so. And, and forgive me for doing a little bit more introduction today than I normally would at the beginning of the sermon as we start this new series. But but as we do so, what are we going to see? What is the Lord going to show us as we work through Second Samuel? Well. We talked about it in First Samuel. It's a simple question, overarching theme that we'll see over and over again. Who is king? Who is king? And spoiler alert, God is king, right? God is king. He's the one who is uh, king. But the people in First Samuel and Second Samuel forget that all the time. 
And it causes issues in their life spiritually, just like you and I tend to forget that all the time. And it causes issues for us. So very relevant for us today. But I thought it might be helpful for you not just to know that we're looking at those matters, but what are specifically some of the themes that we're going to see to sort of whet your appetite for Second uh, Samuel. Uh, you can find these listed in your sermon notes section at the back of the worship guide if you want to, to take a look there. I jotted a few things down. There's, there's actually a ton, but I was trying to keep it somewhat succinct. We're going to look at things like the, the damage of divisiveness among the people of God. How we can get divided from one another sometimes over the craziest things. We're going to see that happening to the people of God, the Israelites, divided from one another with actually a civil war taking place. We'll look at how fickle the masses can be. How we have a tendency to jump, you know, after one leader. And then as soon as we just change our mind about something, we jump in another direction. We'll see that playing out in the people of God. We'll learn about the reality that vengeance belongs to the Lord. That the Lord is taking care of things, and that doesn't mean that we don't work for justice and righteousness in our world as much as we can. But that ultimately there are things that uh, we're never going to make right on this side, but that we can trust and rest and know that God is taking care of those matters, whether they're personal or whether they're national or whatever. God's timing, not our timing. Sometimes the the Lord's going to throw us out the things that we don't feel like we're at all prepared to do. And he just wants to allow us to run and grow in our faith. Other times he's going to grow us in our faith by having things that we really think we ought to have right now, even good things. And his timing is a little slower than we might expect. We're going to look at the fact, of course, that God is near. He's a friend to his people. He's close to them. But we're also going to be reminded in a couple of places, really even today, that God is awesome in his holiness. And we ought to revere who he is as well. Celebrate his closeness to us, but revere him in his awesomeness. And then, of course, lastly, uh, by way of overview, if you know anything about the book of Second Samuel or maybe don't just know that this is in here, uh, this is where David gets himself into some trouble. The story of Bathsheba, all of those things take place here. And, uh, and, and that's a particular incident and a particular type of sin, but it actually is a ton that we can learn there about temptation in any area, about how we yield to temptation, about how we try to cover up temptation, and about the blessing of actually coming to a place of confession and repentance as uh, Dax led us today and others lead us on a given week through that idea in our worship service. That's, that's really fitting because that's a process of growth. We see that even the king of God's people is going through that process. And, uh, and lastly, we'll see that even when he does that, and it's a good fitting thing, that there's still consequences. There's still an impact in this world uh, for family, for community, for friends. Uh, that sometimes you can't put all the pieces back together on this side, even though God would extend his mercy and grace. So we're going to see those broad themes in Second Samuel. Let me say just a few more comments, and then we'll get to reading our passage today. We will get there. Uh, by way of bringing us up to speed. Okay, if you if if you weren't here with us when we went through First Samuel, that's perfectly uh, fine. You don't have to know everything that's in there to get Second Samuel. And probably a lot of us who were here walking through it, I know how it is. Uh, I kind of had to remind myself of all the themes. So don't feel bad if we need to be reminded. 
the books of First and Second Samuel are in this uh, amazing transitional period between when the Old Testament people are being led by these judges that are raised up just sporadically to deal with specific issues. Samson, Gideon, folks like that. Then it comes into this period where Samuel, that's why they're named First and Second Samuel, is this sort of last judge, first prophet. And he's involved in transitioning God's people to having a king, having a king in place. In a sense, uh, you know, God wants them to just be looking to him as king, but they kind of demand to have a king. And, and God works within that program. And, of course, we see it fulfilled in Jesus as king of kings. So that pathway is put in place. Uh, Samuel uh, anoints this one Saul, who becomes, a, you know, kind of the first king of the people of Israel. And, and he's really an incredible disappointment. He, he struggles greatly with having his identity in God. And so uh, some folks who, who uh, lack confidence try to just charge on forward and project it and generate it from themselves. Other people who lack uh, confidence, uh, and we all struggle with that, tend to, you know, struggle with courage and be fearful. Saul's on that latter side of things. He ends up being particularly fearful when David comes along and does what Saul should have been doing and defeats this one Goliath. We all know that story for sure. And David defeats Goliath and then is uh, really anointed and prepared to be king. But the remainder of that book, 1 Samuel, the two of them are vying with one another. Saul is the king. David refuses to take matters into his own hands, as we're going to see today in our passage. And so he's trusting God, but Saul wants David out of the picture. So David is on the run, and Saul is chasing him. At the end of the book of 1 Samuel, we have Saul going up to battle against the Philistines. David is having to go and fight these folks called the Amalekites. And that brings us in to our passage for today after that lengthy Introduction. So I invite you to uh, look with me to Second Samuel uh, chapter one, and I'll read through uh, for us most of this chapter. And then uh, we won't have a ton of time to dive into all of it, but we'll highlight a few key points today. Now, starting in verse one. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag, and on the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp, and his clothes torn, and dirt on his head. And when he came to David, he fell on the ground and paid homage. David said to him, "Uh, Where do you come from? He said to him, I've escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, How did it go? Tell me. So he's inquiring how Saul did against the Philistines. And he answered him, The people fled from the battle, and also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul... And his son, Jonathan, are also dead. Then David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and his son, Jonathan, are dead? The young man who told him said, by chance, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa and there was Saul leaning on his spear. And behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me. And he called to me, and I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? I answered him, I'm an Amalekite. And he said to me, Stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him, because I was sure that he would not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm, and I brought them here to my Lord. And David 
took hold of his clothes and tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, and for the people of the Lord of the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who told him, where do you come from? He answered him, I'm the son of a sojourner and a Malachite. David said to him, how is it that you were not afraid to put your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? David called one of the young men and said, go execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, your blood be on your head for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's Lord's anointed. And then David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And he said that it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jashar. Let's stop and let's pray there. And then we'll get back to the song that David sings as we walk through these verses for a few minutes. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us insight and understanding to these verses and how they apply to us as we see your sovereign hand over even these matters with Saul and David and David yielding himself to that. We pray that you would allow us more and more to have the peace, the contentment, the joy of being yielded to your sovereign work, uh, even in our lives today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about uh, you all this last week. Hopefully folks had a chance to get out to the polls, right, and do a little uh, voting on uh, Tuesday. And that's probably on all our minds in various ways and forms or fashion and whatever uh, party or person you were uh, aligned with. It's an interesting process we have. We took our our four boys uh, with us to go. My wife and I did. And, of course, they had all kinds of questions about seeing that process and what everybody's doing and even about the, the polls. You know, what is this a race car? Are we on the pole? Are we, are we this is a flag pole? What is are we going to the North Pole? Are the Eskimos here. What does the poll mean? And just defining all of this election stuff for for them in, in whatever your take is on what's going on politically. It's an interesting time. I, I don't know about you. I'm I'm thankful for the kind of country that we live in. And the opportunity we had to participate in the process and the folks that went, you know, went before us to uh, to even give their lives and sacrifice for that and have the vision for it. So I'm I'm thankful for it. And and yet, whether it's our process or some other governing process, it sometimes seems pretty crazy, doesn't it? It sometimes seems pretty out of control. And these verses today are interesting for us in light of that. Because it reminds us that God is sovereign, actually, over all of these things. And he's he's sovereign over our leaders. Uh, Romans chapter 8 speaks about that. You don't need to turn there, but Romans actually chapter 9, I'm sorry. Where the, the Apostle Paul is talking about God's working and how he chooses to work his mercy in some lives and not in others. But he uses an example. He says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God's sovereign over all those who are raised up, whether it happens in a democratic or republic sort of like ours or in other fashions or forms. God is over 
that. Romans 13 says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God. Gives this picture. So we see God's sovereignty in those matters. But what I want you to see as we see uh, this interaction with with uh, this Amalekite and with David and David's great respect for who Saul is as God's anointed king to the point of where he puts to death the man that kills Saul because he so respects God's sovereignty that even though Saul is about to be dead, is as good as dead in David's mind. I will not mess with God's sovereignty. I will let him carry out his plans, even though this one has been chasing him. Why, why is, is this such a big deal? Think about this Amalekite uh, that, that is trying to kill, uh, that decides to kill Saul. What is the big deal? You can follow in your sermon notes section if you want. What's the big deal that this Amalekite seeks to kill Saul? I mean, who was Saul? He was a great disappointment to the people of God. He tried to kill David. He was hunting down David. Uh, Saul asked the guy to kill him. We would probably label it a merciful killing because he's almost dead. The Amalekite who killed Saul didn't try to cover it up either. And in fact, he retrieved the crown and so forth and brought it back to David. It all seems like a pretty positive thing. So what is the deal with David having him executed summarily too? no trial, no nothing. Go kill him. Shocks our sensibilities a little bit, doesn't it? The point here is this. David has such an incredibly high view of God's sovereignty that he wants to respect it down to the very last breath of that King Saul, even though King Saul was against David. And even though King Saul was such a profound disappointment politically, we would say it reminds us of this teaching that's all across Scripture of what we call God's providence or God's sovereignty. Let me try to describe it for a minute, and then we'll take a couple of application points away for today. God's providence is just this. It's his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. God preserves us, and God governs us. What does that mean? He, he oversees everything. The breath that's in, you know, our lungs, the sunshine that's coming down on us, the revolution of this planet we're sitting on are all things that God preserves. God preserves us. God loves us in his providence that way. God also works through these primary and secondary causes. He's working out his will so that when you do something, you and I do something, God's actually working as well. Not like a team of horses together where we've got to help him pull, but he's doing his thing and we're doing our thing. And we can't always see how those come together, but he's working out his will. The scriptures talk about it in a couple of ways. Uh, Amos 3, 6 says, shall disaster befall a city? And God has not done it. Even when disaster befalls a city, God's in it. Proverbs sixteen thirty three: the, the lot is cast. It's like a die or a system of uh, what we would consider almost gambling. The lot is cast into the lap, but the decision is from the Lord. Right? A human hand tosses that out there. But God's the one who directs even something like that. And then we know that God's watching over even the simplest things. Think about Matthew ten twenty nine. Uh, Not even a sparrow falls without God's will, it says. Not just with God knowing, but with God's will and purpose. Now, these are tough things for us to really meditate on on one hand. 
because we've all been through things in our life and faced situations that are really difficult. And we maybe even despised God's hand of direction in our life. And, and it really uh, burdens us. Maybe we're in some of those situations right now. Maybe they're big things in our life. Maybe they're just uh, week-to-week things. Uh, a boss who kind of treats us unfairly and we want to get out of that situation or do an end run. Uh, a spouse that's not as loving as she could be and says critical, biting things all the time that we, we really feel like we almost want to break free from. Children, maybe you feel like you've got a parent and you wish you could switch roles because you know you could do it better, right? We could swap it up. It'd be better if God had sovereignly reversed those things. A political system that we've got some real questions about everything that's happening and how it's playing out. These are things that make us wonder about God's sovereignty. Now, does recognizing God's sovereignty mean that, you know, we we can just do whatever we want in those situations? It doesn't doesn't matter. No, we're still called to walk in step with the Lord. So walk with me through these ideas for just a moment and a couple of application points. One is what is so concerning in those those areas, those examples I gave it to David. David's concern is is this, that we take on God's role. He doesn't want us to do that because guess what? We're not up to it. It's actually a lot better for us. If God stays in his role and we stay in our role, we don't feel that way. We, we get very anxious about that, but it's actually better for that to happen. And so the people and relationships and places we've been put, uh, it doesn't mean that we don't do things about areas where there are problems in those uh, situations. But we trust God. We trust that he's ultimately over those situations. Do you believe that today for some of those things that you're facing? Where are those places where you and I are trying to take God's role on like that Amalekite did? And maybe almost without even realizing it. The second thing we see that's really concerning to David, and I'll try to conclude here quickly, is that David is really worried about taking out God's anointed. So not just taking on God's role, but taking out God's anointed. This wasn't just anybody that the Amalekite killed. Who was it? It was the king of Israel. Reminds me of Psalm 22. I won't read all of it to us. but I'm sorry, Psalm 2, which is one that I have, have kind of sought to meditate on over the years. It begins this way. It says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves against and the rulers set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. It gives this picture of our tendency to say we want to just kind of throw off God's reign and his providence over the world. We want to take it on ourselves. And there's a huge warning and caution given here to the people. I won't read all of this, but it concludes this way in verse 10 of Psalm 2. It says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth, if this is true for them, how much more for you and me? You don't have that role of kings and rulers. It says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And then here's the part that I love. That's both a challenging picture and a beautiful one. It says, kiss the son. Kiss the son. The king was viewed as that son of God. Jesus fulfills that being God's son. It says, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. David knows that 
Uh, even a king like Saul, who's not living up to what he should be, is to be honored because out of that line, out of that trajectory is going to come this one Jesus who we, as we embrace in faith and reverence, allows us to be shielded from the wrath of God. David sees that picture. And the result is pretty powerful in his life, isn't it? Isn't it interesting that King David can somehow find it in himself, not just to accept this, uh, this reality of who Saul was, but to actually write a song. We didn't read it at the end, but you could read it on your own, where he praises King Saul for the good things that he did do. And he, of course, praises Jonathan, who was his good friend. He recognizes that. He writes a song of praise to him. He mourns his loss because he knows, hey, God was sovereignly working even through that. Well, one final point of how this maybe relates to us. I've said this uh, before. I heard somewhere along the way this statement that uh, that dogs uh, hardly ever get ulcers. Dogs hardly ever get ulcers, I'm told. And the reason is this, that a dog hardly ever thinks about being other anything other than a dog. The beauty of God's sovereignty is that we are creatures. He is the creator. He's the sovereign one. He's sovereign even over the kings and rulers of the world. So he's sovereign over you and me. And we can uh, fight that and push against that as much as we want to, or we can get in stream with it. And when we fight against it and want to be God, that's what we really want to do. When we want to control everything in our lives, we're just making ulcers for ourselves. <laughs> we really are. We're spiritually making ulcers for ourselves. David recognized, hey, God is so sovereign that even at this moment of the death of the king of Israel, that ought to be respected. That ought to be held up. Uh, what's your picture today of God's sovereignty in your life and in mine? What would it look like? For you and me to take a step of deeper trust in that sovereignty, where would it actually bring us relief, rest, and joy to trust in him in that way? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we uh, confess, uh, I confess my struggle with this greatly. Um, Lord, I like my plan. (laughs) I don't like your plan a lot of times. I'll just confess it. And uh, it doesn't sit well with me sometimes, the way uh, things play out, big things or little things. And, Lord, that's just a sign of my pride, a sign that I think somehow I would do a better job than you. Uh, What an absurdity, Lord. What an absurdity. And, Lord, uh, it is uh, difficult uh, for us in places in our lives where we have... Uh, come face to face with your sovereignty, and it has not worked out the way that uh, that we would like, especially, Lord, things that we can't control, where we weren't even trying to take over your role, and, and those things have just been brought into our lives. We ask, Lord, that you would, whatever it is, Lord, whether it's just the reality of you being in charge and our difficulty aligning with that, or, Lord, our pridefulness and how we want to grab that charge from you, Father, we ask that you would help us today to really rest in the beauty of your sovereign hand and that we would uh, honor and really even delight in the fact that you have that uh, sovereign rule over all things. 
Give us that picture of you, Lord, and help us to love you as that sovereign one. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.